We now come to the main reason that we gather on the Lord's Day, which is to open God's Word and to be encouraged by it, transformed by it into the image of our Savior. If you're new, I'm Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my honor and privilege to invite you to point your Bible to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We'll be picking up where we left off last Sunday, Luke 11, verse 37. Today we'll be considering 37 to 44. So I'll go ahead and read the passage for us and pray, ask for the Lord's help on our time together, and we'll work through this passage together. should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke eleven, thirty-seven. 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, You Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not, God, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Let's pray. Lord, help us now. As we look into the mirror of this text, help us now. For these are heavy and hard words from the Lord. And we ask that you would give us understanding. And communicate its truth to us. Give us eyes to see it. And hearts that would rejoice in it. Hearts that are changed by the truth of Jesus that we see here. Comfort us now with your gospel. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. The grace of God is both beautiful and it is terrifying. That this God of infinite glory and unlimited power would set his love on undeserving, ill-deserving, hell-deserving people like us is beautiful. And it is also terrifying. God's grace is terrifying because like God's power, it too is unlimited. He gives it 
without measure, without merit, without cost. God's grace cannot be earned. It is a gift. And because it cannot be earned, it also cannot be managed. And oh, how we wish we could manage it. And how we try to manage it. With all of our might, we invent conditions and we try desperately to fit merit into grace. But the human heart craves a formula. And grace offers none. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 is a mountain. Inflexible and unmoving, written in the heavens forever. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And how we bristle against that phrase, not your own doing. Because we need to do. Because if it is by my doing, then I can keep tabs on it. I can know where it is, and I can know where it isn't. I can clean the outside of the cup, and maybe God will leave the inside of the cup alone. If grace is by my doing, then I have metrics I can control. I have a bad day. Well, that's on me. I didn't do. I have a good day. That's on me too. I did do. If grace is by doing, then I have a scorecard. Her life's a mess. It's probably because she didn't do. God is blessing his life. Well, it must be because he did do. We crave a formula. And grace offers none. Grace is unmerited and it is unmanageable. It has nothing to do with my performance and everything to do with his person. It has nothing to do with my doing and everything to do with his done. Grace isn't given because you obey the Lord. Grace is given so that you will. This week's message and the one that's scheduled for next week is going to be a challenge for us as a church. And it is the kind providence of God that these two passages will lead us into Resurrection Sunday. We've come to the second half of Luke 11, where the Lord Jesus joins a Pharisee in his home for lunch. And the setting is important, and the characters are important. The fact that Jesus is dining with a Pharisee is important. A Pharisee was a member of a morally conservative, Bible-believing 
theologically minded, religiously devoted sect of Judaism. The word Pharisee means separated ones. They were the most religiously devoted people in Jesus' day, and they were his fiercest opponents. And a Pharisee invites Jesus into his home, and he gets a dinner that I'm sure he was not quite expecting. And I'm not sure that we will either. As the camera pans around this room, you'll see the Lord and his disciples. And when the camera comes to our host, a Pharisee, I think you'll find that you recognize his face. His face is shockingly familiar, for it is ours. This passage is a mirror, and the more you stare into this mirror, the more you will see the little Pharisee who lives rent-free in your life. This section of Luke hits hard. And so if my tone in this week and next feels a bit heavy, it's because the Lord's tone is heavy. Jesus saved his hardest words for religious people. So hang in there until the end. We're going to save the comfort and the solution for the end. Here's the big idea this morning. Religion kills, but Jesus saves. Religion kills, but Jesus saves. Do nothing for the love of God and everything from the love of God. So let's follow Jesus into this dining room with this Pharisee and meditate for a few moments upon his words. Verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. Now, last Lord's Day, we, we, were, we were taught by the Lord Jesus about God's light, God's self-revelation of himself, and the effects of God shining his light on people. And we learned that Jesus Christ is the light of God, and that he is God's revelation of himself to mankind. The Bible says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. So that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Well, that's another thing that we learned. We learned that some will see Jesus and others will not. And that those who do not see the light of God in Jesus Christ, the Lord says, their body is full of darkness. And then we're brought into this passage. The light of God goes into the dining room of a Pharisee. And from the Lord's words, we see the size and the shape that that darkness takes. As Jesus is teaching these things, one Pharisee invites him over for lunch. And the light of God enters his dining room, and you can imagine what might happen. I'm going to see some stuff. 
And this meal is definitely not one the Pharisee was expecting. So I would encourage you, Pickle Baptist, as we're looking at this text, to recline with your Lord at this table. For the Lord will give us insights into the spiritual life of a Pharisee. Look, if you will, the mirror in this precious and difficult text. Because it's sort of like when you hurt yourself, maybe you gash your face, and you start wondering, how bad is it? And then you look at yourself in the face, and you see how bad it is. And as ugly as that might be, that gash on your face, you need to look at it so that you can clean it out, so that you can address it, and it can heal. And so that's what's happening when we look at this passage. We're asking, how bad is it? The Lord exposes five different strains of Phariseeism in the text before us. Five different strains. More will come in the next text. Five today. Five strains of what we're going to call religion. Now, just so that we're clear... The word religion can mean a good thing and it can mean a bad thing. I'm using that word in the bad sense. I mean, when I say religion, I mean man's attempt to gain favor with God by doing certain things or by avoiding certain things. So when I say religion, I mean our attempt, man-made attempt to make yourself right with God by what you do or what you don't do. There is no sin more tolerated in the Christian church than this one. And it's because that this sin is hard to see. From the outside, Pharisees look like they're doing all the right things. They look very concerned about honoring God with their lives. But as we're going to see in a moment, it's not actually God that they're seeking to honor. So on the outside, they look very clean. But as the Lord will show us, on the inside, they're full of greed and wickedness. Jesus is going to give us five strains of this religious virus. And we're going to ask the Spirit of God to give us eyes to see. But what I want you to see is what you will see by God's grace in your life not in others. This text is a mirror, not a spotlight. I'm going to say that a couple of times because there's a tendency in here, in us, that little Pharisee, to say, "Uh uh-huh, I knew it. Just take a deep breath and take an honest look into this mirror. How bad is it? First strain of religion appears in verse 38. This Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus didn't first wash before dinner. The Pharisee's astonishment is because Jesus did not wash before he ate. Now those days, tables were very low to the ground. They didn't have chairs like we do. They would recline on their side and eat. They didn't use spoons and forks like we do. They would eat with their hands, as they still do in many places in the world. 
And the Pharisee isn't grossed out because Jesus ate with dirty hands. This isn't about hygiene. This is about Jesus neglecting the religious ritual custom of the day. The Pharisees prided themselves in their religious adherence to God's laws. In order to protect themselves from the defilements of the world, they would keep unclean things out of their life, and they would wash themselves of their contact with those unclean things so that they wouldn't accidentally ingest those unclean things into their bodies. And so they washed their hands before every meal. Now, there were no regulations in God's law about washing your hands before you ate a meal. This was about a man-made ritual added to God's law. Certain foods, certain things were forbidden to be eaten. And washing was a way to keep you from accidentally ingesting something forbidden. The Pharisees had a holy book called the Mishnah, which included all kinds of instructions about how to wash before you ate. And the Mishnah told you where to put the water and how much water to use and how to wash your hands exactly the right way. And the Mishnah was a book full of things like this. Here's God's law, which he has given to us. And the Mishnah would come in behind it and say, here's a bunch of rules on how to keep God's law. And these rules, these rituals, they were man-made. No doubt created with good intention. No doubt created with a sincere desire to honor the Lord, to keep his law. But those man-made rituals became a law unto themselves. They became a way to measure one's faithfulness to the law. And so this Pharisee would have had these Mishnah-regulated means to wash available to Jesus, and Jesus chose intentionally not to use them. And the Pharisee is astonished, because here is a holy man, a man claiming to be the very Messiah of God, and he is eating with ceremonially unwashed hands. And in the Pharisee's mind, faithfulness to God's law looked like keeping these man-made ceremonial washings, which didn't, Jesus didn't keep. And so here we see the first strain of religion. Religion adds to God's law. It turns faithfulness into a formula. Because long ago, it had already been decided, this is what faithfulness looks like. This is the form it takes. You follow this form, you are faithful. And Jesus knew actual faithfulness. He was the embodiment of faithfulness. And it wasn't about keeping man-made rituals. And so he refused. So as we stare into the mirror of this text and we ask, how bad is it? We can say, I am like a Pharisee. When my expression of faithfulness is the only standard of faithfulness, I understand. I'm like a Pharisee when my standard of faithfulness is the only standard of faithfulness 
I understand. I'm like a Pharisee when I believe that the way to God's favor is through my checklist. I'm like a Pharisee when I gauge my purity by my performance. Now let's stop. I know what you're thinking. I'm not talking about him. I'm not talking about her. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. This is a mirror. Keep your face in the mirror. Religion turns faithfulness into a man-made formula. It focuses on form, the form that faithfulness takes, rather than the heart which formed it. Religion turns a style into a statute. It draws these tight circles around its own form, around its own tradition, and then labels everyone outside that circle as unfaithful, as compromised, as beneath them. Now understand the Pharisees were a small sect of Judaism in Jesus' day. They're loud. They appear all over the Gospels. But they're small. They're just loud. They keep their circle tight. This is what faithfulness looks like. If you do things the way we do them, you're good. But outside my circle is below us in faithfulness. Because my expression, my man-made expression, is the standard. So that's the first strain of religion. The second strain of religion that appears in this text is in verse 39. Let's read verse 39 down to 41. And the Lord said to this Pharisee, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. So religion cleans the outside and leaves the inside filthy. Jesus exposes these Pharisees here, and the more he, Jesus sees what we don't see. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart, and Jesus sees what the Pharisee didn't see. The Pharisees spent a lot of time making sure that they looked clean on the outside. And they seemingly didn't care at all about whether they were actually clean on the inside. Pharisees had marketed their image as good and clean and right and just and devoted. But that reality wasn't true. From the outside, they looked like the most devoted followers of God in the land. It looked like they really cared about honoring God with their lives. They walked the walk. They attended synagogue every day. It was open. They recited the holy prayers. They memorized the law. They kept the traditions of the elders. They seemingly kept themselves from all the defilements of the world. They could keep the rules. 
but they had no mastery over their heart. For inside, they were full of robbery, extortion, plunder, pillaging, base depravity. They had little grief over their sin, little joy in their God. So again, if we stare into this mirror, how bad is it? Let us say, I am like a Pharisee when I am more concerned with appearing godly than in actually being godly. I am like a Pharisee when I'm more concerned with appearing godly than inward godliness. The sins that others see bother me way more than the ones they don't. I am like a Pharisee when I honor God with my lips, but my heart remains unmoved by his mercy and love. I'm like a Pharisee when... Though I would never profane the name of my God, I will curse my fellow man in my heart. Though I will never cheat on my spouse, I'll entertain fantasies in my head about someone else. Though I would never outright lie, I'll hide income on my taxes. Though I would never steal, I'll withhold my generosity from those who need it. I'll say that I trust in God, but inside I'm filled with anger and discontentment. I'll speak the truth, but not because I love others, but because I like being heard and I like putting people in their place. A Pharisee must appear put together. A Pharisee can't stand to appear weak or incompetent or undeveloped. And so he works tirelessly to appear devoted. Even their messiness is carefully curated as authenticity. So long as there's a perception that my being authentic gains me something from others. Religion is terribly insecure. It can't rest. It can't let anyone see what's going on underneath, inside the cup. Don't look there. Look at the outside. Don't look on the inside. You fools, Jesus says. Did not he who made the Outside, make the inside also? God made both. God deserves both. God is worthy of both. Religion devotes to God what others can see and seeks to keep the rest from him. And so Jesus says in verse 41, give as alms those things that are within, 
And behold, everything is clean for you. Giving alms is an exercise of benevolence that's motivated by love. Jesus is saying, in your love for God, give everything to God. All of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give God your all, all of your affections, all of your will. And then when you do, all the other actions will proceed from the right heart and you'll be clean. That's what makes you clean. Your heart has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, you give, you serve, you do. It's the inside to the outside. But all the Pharisees wanted was the outside because that's what people saw. Third strain of religion comes in verse 42. What are you Pharisees? Can you imagine Jesus saying this? He's around the dinner table. You tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the third strain of religion that we see exposed in this text is a greater concern about particulars than with the primary things. A greater concern with particular things than the primary things. Religion majors on the minors. Jesus revealed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and that they give greater attention to tithing the herbs from their garden than the weighty things like justice and the love of God. Can you imagine this fussing over the number of mint leaves in your garden while you ignore the cries of justice in your city? Can you imagine cutting your herbs into piles just so God would get 10% while you neglect the love of God in your life. Besides, in my research of this passage, they didn't even have to give on rue. For whatever reason, they, weren't even have, they didn't even have to tithe off of rue. But Jesus says, you guys, you go the extra mile. Mint and rue. Every herb. Pharisees we're more concerned about decimal points than in delighting in God. And that is the way of religion. Religion counts. It needs metrics. It counts hours. It counts dollars. It counts the right doctrine as devotion. So how bad is it? Let's take a look in the mirror and let us say, I'm like a Pharisee when I'm counting devotion as a way to curry God's favor. I'm like a Pharisee when I'm counting my devotion as a way to curry God's favor. I'm like a Pharisee when I'm drawing up a balance sheet on my spiritual life. Something I can look to, a spreadsheet that I can say, that's me, that's them, I'm better, or I'm worse. 
You see, this is why the Pharisees hated Jesus. Religion hates grace because grace comes without measure. It is undeserving, ill-deserving. And it goes to those who've made a mess of their lives. Grace moves toward weakness. It moves towards the imprecise. It's frustratingly patient with people who make a mess of their life. In some circles, devotion to God is measured by how much you do. Decimal points. But in other circles, and let's be honest, our circles, devotion is measured not so much in what you do, but in how much you know. We tend to gauge spiritual maturity by how much Bible you know, by theological shrewdness, by how many books you've read. A friend, beware of the deceitfulness of the metrics we try to place over the Christian life. But these metrics lead to grading ourselves against others. This is what made the Pharisees critical, skeptical, scrupulous. Religion makes you incapable of weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those you rejoice. It's, it's all about achievement. What do I gain by empathy? So, so let's stop. I'm going to say this again. I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about him. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about you. Keep your face in the mirror. We're chasing down that little Pharisee, wherever he is. Fourth string. Religion craves the praise of man more than peace with God. Look at verse 43. Woe to you, Pharisees! For you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. The Pharisees loved the praise of man. And so they sought the best seats in the synagogue. They loved hearing their greetings in the marketplaces. They loved to be respected by their fellow man. And Jesus said, in Matthew 23, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. So again, I am like a Pharisee when I crave the admiration of others more than the affection of God. I'm like a Pharisee when I will go out of my way to be seen by others. So that they will see my spiritual accomplishments. 
But didn't Jesus tell us, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Does it feel good to be recognized by others? Of course it does. And that's what makes this strain of this virus so deadly. Because it feels so good. And if you live for that feeling, it will suffocate humility and it will lead to all manner of evil. When a brother or sister is honored, you'll resent them rather than rejoice with them. When a brother or sister is suffering, there's going to be a little part of you that thinks they deserve it. God is punishing them. And this is a wicked thing. The last strain of religion that the Lord unveils in this passage is in verse 44. He says, Woe to you, for you're like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without even knowing it. And so here we learn the fifth strain of religion is that it pollutes the unsuspecting. It pollutes the unsuspecting. Jesus calls these Pharisees unmarked graves. That doesn't sound like much of an insult to us, but it sure, it sure should have to them. Grave sites were marked to notify passerby that a dead body is buried here. And walking over a dead body would have made a person ceremonially unclean. This is why during holy days when lots of people are coming into the city, they would whitewash tombs so that you would know where a dead body is. So you didn't walk over it and become ceremonially unclean on your way to go worship. And Jesus says, you guys are like unmarked graves. The pollution of your doctrine is contagious. Others will hear what you say, see what you do, and they'll be infected. In another place, the Lord told the Pharisees, he said, you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. As I said, Jesus saved his hardest words for religious people. So how bad is it? We look at the mirror. How bad is it? I'm like a Pharisee. When I infect others with my false religion. When we do not place our confidence and hope in the mercy of God alone, we will put it in something else. When we reject the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to grab hold of something. And only Jesus saves. Everything else enslaves. When we put our confidence in anything other than Christ, we begin to live for that thing. And younger Christians see our lives, they hear our talk, and they themselves become infected with our false gospel. It's a sobering fact. Worthy of honest attention. So five strains. 
Five strains of religion exposed by the Lord in his passion. Number one was religion turns faithfulness into a form, a man-made form. Number two, religion is concerned with outward appearance more than inward purity. Number three, religion counts the particular things and neglects the primary things, like justice and the love of God. Number four, religion craves the praise of man more than peace with God. And number five, religion is contagious. It pollutes the unsuspecting. There's much more that could be said about this. I suppose we could have done a five-part series on these five things. And there will be more strains of this religious virus to come in the passages that follow, but that's enough for now. We've seen the gash in our face. And now we turn to the waters of Christ and his gospel and where we will find healing from this disease. Religion kills, but Jesus saves. The only vaccine against every strain of religion is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus laid down his life for undeserving, ill-deserving, hell-deserving sinners like us. He lived without sin. He was murdered on a sinner's cross, and he rose from the dead three days later, where he sits in heaven as our intercessor, having secured our salvation forever. And this reality is the only solution to the problem of Phariseeism. So if you're not a Christian, I just want you to know there is nothing you need to do to be saved. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins and receive his mercy and forgiveness for your sins. You don't have to clean up your life to come to him. Just come to him. Lay that dirty mess of a life before him and ask him to forgive you of all the things which have deserved hell. And he is faithful and just to do just that and to grant to you eternal life and a place in heaven with the saints. If you are a Christian, meditate long on this gospel and never stray far from it. God has set the full concentration of his love on you while you were a sinner, immature. Theologically, a train wreck. Thoroughly compromised. And God saw your mess Let me take it. Let me fix it. Let me make it right. Christian, you are uglier than you ever imagined, and yet you are loved more than you ever dreamed. 
So meditate long upon the love of God and his unmerited grace and let it humble your religious heart and drive that Pharisee out. God chose you not because you had a lot to offer him. God chose you because he had everything to offer you. You didn't do anything to qualify for his love, and you don't have to do anything to stay qualified for his love. Religion will tell you that if you obey, you will be accepted. And the cross of Jesus Christ kills that. The gospel says, you're already accepted. Now obey. Religion says that when things go wrong in your life, it's your fault. You didn't do enough. But the gospel says that when things go wrong, your loving father is shaping and sanctifying you into the image of his son. Religion says that God will punish you for your past sins. But the gospel says Christ was already punished for that sin and the next one and the one after that and the one after that. There's no more punishment left over. It's already been punished. The only thing left for you is grace. Religion tells you to just keep doing and keep doing and keep doing. You can't stop. You can't let people see. You gotta just keep going. But the gospel says, no, 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 stop. It is finished. Come and rest. Come and play. So PBC, if by looking into the mirror of this text, seeing the gash on your face, has exposed some Phariseeism in your life as it has in mine. I'm going to leave you with two things as we wrap up. The first, confess it. Find someone you trust and just tell them that I've been using my devotion as a way to curry God's favor in my life. And I've been looking to myself and finding myself better than other people. And I've been looking down on other people because they're not as devoted as me. Just confess it. Look to Jesus Christ and receive the full forgiveness of this greed, of this wickedness. That's the first thing. Second thing, make the cross of Jesus Christ your only boast. Join with the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 and say, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of every day, boast in the cross of Christ. The moment you wake up tomorrow morning, say to yourself, Whatever this day brings, 
It will all be of Christ. No credit will I take for the good and no despair will I fall into from the bad because all is of Christ. Jesus is my life. And then at the close of every day, before you lay your head on your pillow this very night, with so much left undone, with so much left unaccomplished, with so much of a mess in your own heart and in your own affections, in your own life, boast in the cross of Christ. Say to yourself, it is not my doing which makes my relationship right. It is my Savior that makes my relationship right. My sense of self does not arise from me. It is received by what he has done. It is all of Christ. The pleasure of God over my life is Christ and Christ alone. And then close your eyes and sleep all night long to the glory of God. For it is finished. It is finished. Let's pray. Father, would you hear now our humble prayer? And look upon us in mercy. More than anything, Father, we give you thanks for revealing these strains of legalism in our heart. For religion. For Phariseeism. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us in this. We lay ourselves before you. Lord, protect us from hiding our true selves behind some kind of mask. We confess, O oh Lord, that we are so much like these Pharisees. Please forgive us. We have desperately tried to put metrics on your grace, looking down on others, boasting in ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, that we have the answer. We appeal to the righteousness of Christ. And we ask that you would show mercy to us and forgive these sins. Receive our thanks from grateful and humble hearts. Amen. If you would please stand for the assurance of pardon. Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, offers an assurance of pardon from his holy, unchangeable, inerrant, always and forever word. Psalm 79, verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Amen. Boy, please leave us.